It is our privilege to bring to you the following message, supported by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our normal Sunday morning service times. Pastor Rick Foster is serving as our interim senior pastor here at Rancho Baptist Church. And on this Palm Sunday, Pastor Rick continues in his series on experiencing Jesus. Today is part six in a sermon he's entitled, Surprise, Surprise. Let's turn to Mark chapter two. We're looking at verses one through twelve this morning. Here's Rick. On History Channel's reality show, Pawn Stars, a man came in one day to sell a violin. He had just purchased a piece of property where there was a house and a barn on it, and he had just recently gone to the piece of property to investigate and kind of explore his new purchase when he went into the barn and found an an old uh, chest. He opened the chest to discover a, a violin that was safely tucked inside of it. As he dusted off what looked to be a near-perfect instrument, he noticed the word Stradivarius inscribed on it. So the man was hoping that this violin was going to be worth millions of dollars to him. Well, it so so often happens if you watch that show that when a potentially rare item like this is brought in, it usually gets carefully examined and appraised by an expert. The expert came in examined it very carefully, and the final conclusion, it was not a Stradivarius violin, but rather a cheap imitation that had been made back in the early 1900s, and its value was probably somewhere in the five to $600 range, which obviously deflated the violin owner. But the appraiser ended his comments with the following statement. Just because something has a label doesn't mean it's real. Now think back to where Mark has taken us from his opening statements when he decided to put pen to paper. He began by giving us some pretty heady labels about Jesus Christ, did he not? For example, one of them is he called Jesus the Christ, which means the anointed one, the Messiah. Pretty heady. He also called him the Son of God. Wow. Remember, just because something has a label doesn't mean It's real. And Mark understands that, and that's why he's been writing with real intentionality. He wants us to experience Jesus for ourselves, and then through that encounter, which includes a careful examination and appraisal, he wants us to draw our own conclusion. So, that begs the question, how do you get to know someone deeply? How do you get past labels that they might bring to the table to find out what's really there in their heart of hearts. Well, actually, it's quite simple. All you need to do is hang out with them over an extended period of time in a variety of settings and just watch. Watch how... Watch them at work. Watch them at home. Watch them at school. Watch them how they eat their meals. What do they do with their free time? Observe them and how they behave when they're in the privacy of their own house, when they're with their peer group, their friends, or when they're with total strangers. My, my dad once mentioned to me that he can tell more about what's going on inside of a person's heart by letting them drive for 10 minutes in heavy traffic than anything else. <laughs> okay, so let them drive. Watch. <laughs> but I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, 
nothing reveals a person's heart quite like observing them when they respond to a surprise, to an unexpected event. So what is the young husband's initial reaction to his wife when she surprises him with the announcement, I'm pregnant? Or what is the wife's response immediately to her husband when he comes home at the end of the day with the news that he's been laid off? How do we respond when we get that phone call in the middle of the night that a real friend of ours has died? When we're told that we're now going to be working the late shift for the next 90 days, when we realize we've been promoted at work and we didn't even know we were up for a promotion, oh yeah, but with the promotion comes a, a move out of state. Or at the reading of the will, you were left a great deal of money. Hmm. Or at the reading of the will, you weren't left anything. <laughs> but it's not just the major surprises that are, are revealing of our hearts. What about our reaction to those times of less intensity uh, that are still unexpected or still surprises, like your kids come down sick one night and they're home for the day and that has just upset your plans? Or you're already running late and the car won't start? Or you walk into the garage to discover a, a growing pool of water under the water heater? Or <laughs> there's a timeout. There's 10 seconds left in the game. Your team is preparing for the final score to, to win it. And at that very moment, your spouse asks you to take your crying son and change the diaper. Now. <laughs> See, the immediate response, the immediate response to surprise or the unexpected reveals the heart, doesn't it? Now, let me add just a, a slight twist to that. Uh, that's also true, and that is we should not only watch how people respond to the unexpected, but how do they create surprise or the unexpected? In other words, in what ways are they startlingly spontaneous? Or are they even spontaneous at all? See, Mark's technique... in writing down the story of Jesus, it isn't sophisticated, it isn't mysterious, he's not... He's not putting in here hidden messages or, or secret codes. Rather, he's simply describing what it was like to hang out around Jesus. And through his writing, it's as if we're listening and carefully watching him, we can get to know him. And there is no better way to get to know Jesus than to watch him respond to the unexpected and to watch how he is spontaneous. So grab your Bibles. We're in Mark, chap we're in Mark, and we're going to be in chapter 2, verses 1 to 12 this morning. And again, just remember, this is the second of three um, events with individuals that Jesus had that demonstrate how the kingdom of God is now showing up with power and authority. We saw this last week. This is the second one. After Easter, we'll hit the third one. This well-known story that you know in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, is best understood as a series of surprises. Everybody there at the moment anticipated one thing happening, 
when something totally different was really what occurred. And it didn't just happen once. It happens twice. In the opening five verses, we have surprise number one. As the chapter opens, Jesus has been at his work and ministry for a couple months now, and he's returning to his home base, a, a town called Capernaum. And by the way, his approval rating has just skyrocketed. And it's right here as he comes back to Capernaum that we have the unexpected event. Verse 2, notice, word has circulated that Jesus is back in town. And what happens? Many were gathered together so that there was no more room even at the door. And he was preaching to them. So what happens? This house that he's in is quickly packed. People spill out the front door. They spill out into the courtyard. So they may not be able to see Jesus, but they're there because they at least want to hear what he has to say. Now, notice in verse 2, it also describes for us that Jesus took advantage of this opportunity to preach the word of God to them. Now, we're not told what was the specific message he was delivering that day, but more than likely, based on chapter 1, verse 15, that we've looked at several times, it probably had something to do and centered around the coming kingdom of God and a person's uh, need to repent and to believe it. Probably. So what's the general expectation in the room? And even those out in the courtyard. They're there to hear a message. Which means everybody's probably respectfully quiet and very attentive in order not to miss even a single word that's said. And that's right when the unexpected occurs. It all starts when four guys show up at the event and each one of them is holding the corner of a mat and laying in the mat is their paralyzed friend. Now, they've obviously brought him here, carried him here in order to have Jesus heal him. But because of the crowd that's assembled ahead of them, they can't get close to Jesus. Now, I'm not sure who it was, but not to be deterred, one of the four comes up with a wacky and completely unorthodox idea. If we can't get to Jesus horizontally, let's go vertical. Now, again, you need to understand something about construction in that day. Um, typically, it's a one-room house. On the outside is a staircase that leads to the roof. They would go up on the roof a lot. They would go up there to leave food out to dry, to, to dry the clothes, or to, to stand up there in the evening to catch the, the cool breezes. But up there on the roof, the roof is made of poles going one direction, and then wooden laths going the other direction, mud applied to fill into the cracks, and then on top of all of that, clay tiles to drain the water away so it wouldn't come in on those below. So these guys go up the exterior staircase. They make their way up onto the roof, and they begin to remove some of the tiles. They dig through the dried mud and then begin to pull out those necessary boards in order to create a mat-sized opening. Okay, that's what's happening up there. Now imagine for a moment what's going on down in the room below. Folks, this is deliciously and delightfully humorous. If you'd been in the room below, first of all, you would have heard the muffled sound of some activity up on the roof. That's not unusual. You would probably hear that in almost every home at some points. But then dirt and dust starts drifting down from the ceiling. It gets in your hair. It gets on your clothes. It gets in your eyes. People start to cough. People start to sneeze. 
Suddenly there's a shaft of light that appears and it's growing larger and it's getting larger. It's blocked for a moment and then reappears, illuminating this U-shaped mat that's being lowered by a set of ropes to the floor. Jesus' message has long been disturbed. Everybody's now looking upwards towards the ceiling in astonished amazement at what's, what's happening around here. Now catch the final scene. The mat comes down and touches the floor. Its sides spread out to reveal this paralytic man. Four ropes lead up into the new skylight that's in the ceiling. And four faces are peering down through the opening to see what's going to happen. And then every eye in the room turns and looks at Jesus. And what does happen next? Mark gives us the revealing response of Jesus. And if we're going to experience Jesus and get to know him for who he really is, there is something powerful about his heart that is revealed in the next four words. How does verse 5 start? Jesus saw their faith. What others saw as a rude interruption, Jesus sees faith. What others in that room would define as an annoying inconvenience, Jesus sees faith. Now understand, Jesus could very rightly have said, excuse me, I'm preaching here. We're talking about the kingdom. Hello, I'm the son of God and you're interrupting me? What were you thinking? Yeah, he could have. So what does his immediate response to the unexpected tell us about the heart of our Savior? Number one, that people, even even hurting people, matter the most to him. And that our expressions of faith are highly valued by him. Even when maybe all we're doing is trying to help a a hurting friend get close to Jesus. It also tells us something else about his heart. And that is that the hurting and disadvantaged are never going to be turned away. But are warmly welcomed by him. By the way, is that the Jesus you know? Or has he for too many years become this distant, disengaged figure in your life, kind of like a stained glass window or a Sunday morning ritual? Or has he become a cold representative of rigid rules and, and regulations? Is he just a story or is he a compelling person? See, folks, this, this event was not recorded by Mark to amaze or amuse us, but to invite us to experience the warmth of a relationship with Jesus Christ. We're being invited to enjoy a relationship where we matter. It's a relationship where even most, our most unorthodox expressions of faith are celebrated. A relationship where our suffering is shared and it's never treated as a disruption to our Savior. See, this is the Jesus Mark wants us to get to know. Because if we'll come to know him like he really is like this, then we'll find that he's offering us a life we didn't even imagine we could ever live. But that's just the first surprise. I told you there were two. In the first, again, we've seen, 
Jesus responds to the unexpected surprise initiated by others. Now watch how Mark turns this. Now we see him initiating the unexpected in surprise number two. It starts at the last half of verse 5. It goes down to verse 12. And as I've studied this story, I am convinced that Jesus looked around the room at who just dropped in, literally, and I believe a playful smile came to his lips. Again, walk with me through this. After all, what was the expected event? In other words, what did everybody expect was going to happen next? Well, if you had been there and you were watching it firsthand, what would have been your expectation? Again, remember the context here. Back into chapter 1, verse 21, Jesus has already shown his power and authority over the demonic. Verse 32 of chapter 1, he spent a whole evening in that town, probably from the very porch of this house, healing people all evening long. Verse 41, he healed a leper. The result is that in verse 28 and in verse 45 of chapter 1, we're told that this kind of news has spread all throughout Galilee. Jesus can miraculously heal people. And that's why these four guys have brought their paralyzed friend here. Miraculous healing is on everybody's mind. So the natural expectation of what's next, Jesus is going to heal this guy right in front of us. And yet look at the last part of verse 5. Jesus says to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Folks, immediately there were emotional, spiritual, and intellectual skid all across the room. The unexpected just occurred. This is the last thing in the world they would have thought would, would come out of his mouth. Be healed? Sure. But be forgiven? Where is this coming from? See, now understand, Jesus is using this packed out place and this paralytic guy who just dropped in in front of him to, in a spontaneous way, go with the object lesson that's right there. Now remember what I, where we started this morning. We get to know someone not just by their initial reaction to surprise, but also by the initiative they take to spontaneously initiate surprise. So what's the revealing response? Starting in verse 6, we get a bunch of them. The first one we have comes from a group of people that are really not the main focus of the story. They're going to become the main focus in a little while, uh, in a few weeks, but not right yet. We're told about the response of the teachers of the law. Look at verse 6. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Okay, so what's the reaction to the words that came out of Jesus' mouth? You're forgiven. They thought it was blasphemy. In other words, they thought that Jesus was a heretic to say this because heresy is to teach something that contradicts established religious opinion. And these are the teachers of the law. These are the scribes. These are the scholars, the authorities that can accurately tell you what the Old Testament teaches. So by the way, their assessment in verse 7 is correct. Only God can forgive sins. 
Now, I'm not sure what was in their mind, but maybe in their mind was Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 25, where God says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Maybe that was a verse that came to mind. Or maybe it was Psalm 130 in verse 4, where the psalmist, in honoring God, says, But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Please note, their correct analysis does not lead them to an accurate conclusion. So Jesus, in wanting that audience, and by the way, for us, he wants us too, to come to know who he really is, he calls these guys out. Verse 8 points out that they've not verbalized any of this. They're just thinking it in their heart. But Jesus knows what they're thinking. So let's look at the response by Jesus. And what does this tell us about his heart? Notice verse 9. There's a question, first of all. What's the question? Jesus says, which is easier to say, and by the way, if you're taking notes or you want to mark in your Bible, under word, underline those two words, to say. Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, underline that one, to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. Okay, so Jesus is focusing in on what's harder, what's easier, to say with words coming out of your mouth. Be healed or be forgiven. Okay, think about this for a moment. Since forgiveness is on the inside and remains healing, I mean, remains hidden, but healing is on the outside and is obvious, to announce forgiveness is easier only in that, how can you dispute it? Verification is difficult, if not impossible. The harder thing would be to pronounce, say, be healed, because either it's going to be there or it's not. See the play going on here between easier and more difficult? Now look at the statement in verse 10. He moves from what a person can say, easier or hard, to what a person does, easier or hard. Look at the statement in verse 10 but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. In other words, Jesus wants everybody to understand the power and the authority he has. How is he going to demonstrate this power and authority? If he can do the harder thing that we would say is harder because of, what it, because of words coming out of our mouth, then does that not reveal his authority to do what at least appears to be easier to say? Okay, think about it. We, we, we understand this all the time. If someone can bench press over 100 pounds, can they not carry a sack of groceries? Yeah, if you can do the harder thing, you can do the easier thing. If they can teach calculus to high school students, can they not then balance their checkbook? Yeah, if you can do the harder thing, you can do the easier thing. If they are in the military and they have the rank to command a squad or a platoon of men, can they not then get their toddler to behave? Okay, that doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, flip that one around the other way. <laughs> I, I know. But you understand what Jesus is doing there. Harder, easier. If you can do the hard, you can do the easier one. So if Jesus can by his words 
miraculously heal, which would seem from appearance to be the harder thing, what does that then say about his authority to actually forgive? Look at verse 11. Jesus says to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, immediately picked up his bed, and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Okay, so what does this unexpected spontaneity by Jesus reveal about his heart to us? Let me give you a couple things to think about. First, Jesus has no problem purposefully shaking people up if that will help them get to see him for who he really is. He'll do it on purpose. Second, we may come to Jesus wanting help or healing at one level, but we should not be surprised if he takes us where we didn't intend to go. For our Jesus wants to take us further and deeper to the necessary healing of our heart, which takes forgiveness. Which kind of spills into a third thing that gets revealed here. That there's always a parallel, always a parallel between our physical health and the health of our heart at a spiritual level. Again, the man was paralyzed, physically unable to move, No freedom to enter into life. He just lay there and let everything else happen around him. That was his lot in life. And that's exactly what sin does to us, doesn't it? It paralyzes us. It takes away our freedom to move. It restricts. It confines us. And Jesus' surprising initiative here shows us again that he wants us to enjoy forgiveness. Not only because it will make us clean, which is what we saw last week as he healed the leper, not only because it will make us clean, but because it will set us free. It will set us free to bound into life with a freedom and movement we never had before or somehow we lost it. But probably the most important thing that's revealed about Jesus' heart here is that he does have the authority to grant forgiveness. Some of you are here this morning, and you look good on the outside. And yeah, I'm I'm, I'm looking at you. Some of you are looking really good on the outside. (laughs) But on the inside, you know something's paralyzed. Do you want to be set free? Do you? This story is given to us to realize that Jesus offers us the opportunity to have life with no shame, no guilt, no having to duck and run in certain situations. But that kind of life can only be experienced if there's divine forgiveness. Jesus can and will forgive anything you have done or failed to do. Anything. 
All he's waiting for is to, feel, if, to see if you'll come to him, if you'll drop in. Believing that he'll do it. Isn't that a wonderful surprise? Let's pray. Father, for so many of us, we don't even really maybe know what to say right now, right here. Because for way too long, we have tried to ignore that sin. We've tried to bury it or we've put it into a closet and not only locked the, that door, but nailed it shut. Or we've tried to rationalize it, excuse it. But we know the effect, it has paralyzed us at a very deep level. And maybe we're here this morning because we want to be here. And maybe we're here this morning because someone else has brought us. Brought us because by faith they really do believe that if we'll get to know Jesus, we'll get to have a life that we didn't even think was possible. Regardless, Father, we're at a point of doing some business with you, of needing to admit our stuck, frozen position, that nothing else has been able to release us from and we come and say Jesus please forgive me I ask for your forgiveness because only you can give it and we're not far enough along in the story yet to realize that that's going to take the cross (laughs) we'll get there because that's what makes it so very very real But here and now, this morning, some of us are crying out, Lord, please forgive. Please bring the healing of forgiveness to my life. And Father, thank you for the power of your word. That if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you, Jesus that that's your heart for us. So, Father, we come humbly but in faith, asking this in the powerful authority of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. 
Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.